Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Uh, this is Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're on episode 22. Today is November 20th. And we're going to talk to you about pinball, video games, and tabletop. Well, I guess we should do our intros first. So, Tony, what's been going on? I have been so busy with actual stuff that isn't, you know, like work or you know, silliness related that I've actually got stuff to talk about. I mean, I, uh, as listeners will know, I've been going back through the wheel of time since like May and I finished, uh, the day after our last podcast came out, I finished and it's, uh, just as good as it ever was. It ends that, that, that series ends so strong. I mean, it's one of those series, I mean, it's 14 books, so that, that stretches it out already. And the books are not small books. They're all pretty major books. And it's got, it starts pretty high, and then it drops down just a little bit, but it's not bad. Then there's like a slow part, or like book 9 and book 10 are a little slower. Uh, book 10, I think, is like the slowest of the books. And then as soon as you finish book 10, you start with book 11 and it starts ramping up real fast. You hit book 12 and it just pegs out the meter as max and it doesn't slow down for the rest of the books. So it, it's definitely a one of those. It's got a slump in the middle. But the thing is, is it's one of those where most book, you know, if you're on like a one to 10 scale, the slump is like a five. While the everything, while the very ending is a, is an eleven, so I'm happy. I, I'm glad it's done. I can start listening to other things. I start reading other things. At the same time, when it finished, I kind of when when it when, when it ended, like the very last part, is I finished it while listening to it as an audio book, not reading it, and it ended. And I was just sitting there, and it was blank in my headphones, and I'm just sitting there like, well, what am I going to do now? What will you do? I caught up on all my podcasts that I was behind on. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, I know that pile was getting fairly substantial. It was. Now, to be fair, I, I cheated. I went through and anything that I was well beyond. So, like, all of the old, all of the news podcast and the uh, politics podcast and all of that stuff, um, seeing as it was after the election, I just got rid of everything pre-election because none of it mattered anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. And I um, thinned out a bunch of my video game podcasts because while I hadn't listened to the podcast itself, I had what they also tend to post them on uh, YouTube and I'd watch the videos. So I got rid of all those. And that left me with a much, much more manageable list to go through. And as of this morning, I'm fully caught up. So. Oh, I, I'm behind uh, now, and I was caught up last time. But that is that is the world of podcasts. So besides Wheel of Time and Podcast Palooza, anything else going on? Um, yeah, I listened to uh, another a short story 
put out by John Scalzi in an audiobook only form. Uh, it was a little thing he did where he put it out. He said it might come out as a ebook at some time, but he wrote it specifically as an audiobook. And it was only about two hours long. It was called The Dispatcher, and it was read by uh, Zachary Quentin. Uh, you know, Spock from the new Star Star Trek. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. He was Siler and Heroes and all that stuff. And it was a really enjoyable short story. Uh, it was kind of about, it's about a, there's a, a it's in the future because he writes a lot of little kind of mysterious short stories besides his big epic you know, space opera and big epic sci-fi stuff. And he also write he likes to write these other like short stories and like mystery books. Like he did one lock in that was pretty good. And it's kind of a mystery book that's set like 20 minutes into the future uh, style. And what it is, is murder is impossible or almost impossible because 99 times out of a thousand, when you intentionally kill somebody, their body vanishes and they reappear in their bed. So you murder is impossible unless you get the one bad luck one and how it has affected uh, most. You spend most of the short story learning in different ways. It's affected, you know, the world uh, and how it starts. And I mean, the main character is a licensed bonded uh, professional. He's called a dispatcher. And what they do is, uh, He's like at hospital, he works for hospitals and he does other jobs where it is his job to murder anybody who looks like they're about to die. So if you're in a bad car accident, he will shoot you and kill you because you will reappear in your bed and your body resets uh, anywhere from 12 hours to 30 days before the, uh, before the murder. So if you were like in a bad car accident, he would kill you and you would wake up and ha- at bed in bed and be fine. Oh, all groundhog day-ish. All groundhog day-ish. Except for time's not re- actually resetting, it's cuz you can do it with anybody and there's a and, it, and it's got it's a mystery. I mean, like that's just a little bit of background, that's not the actual story itself, but it is it's an enjoyable listen. And they offered it for free uh several weeks ago when it first came out and that's when I picked it up while I was still listening to wheel of time. So it was pretty enjoyable. Awesome. Well, you have been productive. So oh, I've been so productive and that doesn't even include, you know, studying and working on some tests and work stuff. And yeah, it's been crazy. What have you been up to? Oh, not nearly as much. Uh, I had a work conference in the last week, so that's why I'm behind on podcasts because I was at hotel facilities for several days and I just don't have time to put in headphones and listen to things when I have to actually talk to people. So because of that, I didn't get as much done as I might have otherwise, at least on the listening front, but I did accomplish a few things. So I guess before I go into my what's been happening intro, I will intro my intro with a correction from the last episode. During the last episode, as you probably recall, we talked a little bit about Battlefield 1, and I was describing my annoyance with the battle pack system, but I did mention that I thought that they gave you a battle pack every time you leveled your character like an Overwatch and the loot crate thing. That's not true, though. That was for Battlefield 4. There are only the random awards of the battle packs in Battlefield 1. No other way to get them. So that's so my annoyance is, was actually feeling that. So anyway, correction to everyone involved. When you level, you do not get battle packs. Wrong. 
<sighs> yep. Yeah. There's a lot of wrong lately. So anyway, the uh, let's see. In terms of podcasts, I did start another one. I started the For Amusement Only EM and Bingo Pinball Podcast. The uh, bingo. host. That's right. EM They're, Bingos. Bingo machines are cool. I have never played one. I've only seen them. I've not actually played one, but I've watched, watched several videos of people playing them and messing with them, and they seem kind of cool. Yes, so I'm, I'm interested in playing one now. I've, I've Nick contacted me on one of the pinball sites because being the proper person of respect that I am, my shout out to Steve Kordek on my designer ranking list caught attention to an EM fan like Nick. And so he said, hey, my show covers a lot of EMs. It's not just bingos, which I know I've seen it in my search list before. And I think that's what I, I just assumed it was a bingo oriented thing, which I, I would say, yes, it's predominantly bingo. But it was interesting to listen to. So he gave me a few key interviews that he had done. So I caught up through all of that and, and the most recent episodes of his show. So it was interesting because a number of them were about EM pinball coverage. And it put me almost in the mood to do another EM pinball project because I'm without a project at the moment, but I should have a project coming up, which, you know, I'll, I'll say more on it if it doesn't fall through, but I won't know until early December whether or not it's a go or not. And it won't be an EM, but uh, one project at a time or I'll get overwhelmed. But anyway, it's an interesting show. I have a link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out a podcast that is more exclusively focused on electromechanical machines. And most of his episodes are really short, like under 20 minutes short. So it's, it's quite digestible. Uh, speaking of why I don't have a project anymore, it's because I finished my LED swap out on Jurassic Park for the incandescent bulbs. So like I did with Firepower, I've gotten the show notes a link to a side-by-side -side video I put together showing the differences on my machine from when I had it as incandescent to when I went LED. And this one was a nightmare to do because of all the ramps and everything. <laughs> it's like Firepower was quick. Like I did all of Firepower, I think, in 90 minutes. And Jurassic Park took me over four hours. So... I should have probably done it first so it could have properly broken my spirit, but I did not. I think uh, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it, it's a lot brighter. Uh, in fact, I, I played it last night when I got back from uh, the Pizza West pinball tournament and actually went back and turned off the lights to make sure. And I could follow the ball a lot better. It used to be if I, especially if I played a game like Star Trek and then I moved over to Jurassic Park, just like sidled over to the next machine. I'd have a lot of trouble tracking the ball because Star Trek's so bright. And then Jurassic Park, it was okay, but in the lower middle of the play field, I couldn't see the ball. I'd lose it if it was dark. So now that's not nearly a problem because I've pretty much doubled the brightness of the table. But uh, other than that, uh, two pinball tournaments. One of them, normally, I would we would have talked about in the last episode, except we recorded a day early, and it was before I went to the 403 Club tournament, where I won my first round, and then I lost my next two. But I was pleased, because it was someone I had never beaten head-to-head -head play. So that was a, like a little mini accomplishment for me. And then yesterday, I went two and out, and uh, but they were against two opponents. I... Also believe I have never beaten head-to-head -head play, but the matches were all pretty close. So all I went three games on on both players. So I was pretty. Pl I, I like it when I see incremental improvement in myself, even if I don't get the wins. At least it tells me, you know what, you are actually picking up some skill, just a little bit, but it's something. Yeah, I played. I, I was in the tournament last night at Pizza West, and I did. I won. I I lost my first one, won my second one, and then lost my third one, but. 
the thing that makes me happy is I managed to push all of them to three rounds. So I didn't just get stomped out like I normally do. Yeah, I th- I really like going to the three. It, it makes me, even if the games aren't all close games, it makes me feel like, you know, that maybe there was at least a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I beat him once. I beat him once. I know I can do it again. That's right. That's right. And I actually had a number of, uh, there was only one that I would, uh, one game, my very last game that I wouldn't describe as uh, particularly close. And it's still, I wasn't blown out. It was just, it, it wasn't, it just wasn't close. But, but um other than that, yeah, I thought it went pretty well. So anyway, that's all I have for my intro. And you, I remembered one more thing. Uh oh. Before we get, move on. Oh dear. I finally got some really, really, really solid use out of my Amazon Prime account. Besides just free shipping and all that stuff, uh, the Grand Tour started coming out, which is the new show by the guys who used to do Top Gear. Oh yes, I, I remember Top that. I liked it. It's like, it's exactly like Top Gear with more money. So with a bigger budget, I enjoyed it quite a lot. So I, I saw like, an ad for it on, uh, on YouTube, I think. Yeah. It, like I said, it, it, it's really good. Uh, provided you're a, a Top Gear type guy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a huge car guy. I mean, I like cars, but I'm not a huge like petrol head type guy, but the way those guys cover everything and do everything is just so funny that I find it very enjoyable. So when they started coming on Amazon, when, when it started coming out on Amazon prime, I was watching it. The only thing I don't like <clears throat> is that instead of doing what they Amazon prime and normally does with their shows and what Netflix does with their shows where they just release everything at once. They're literally releasing one episode a week. Like it was on fricking TV. It's like, man, I cut the cord for a reason. I don't care about that crap. Drop every episode and just let me binge that until it pours out of my ears. The cord is back. <sighs> Except your cord overlord. So I did that with black mirror. I binged black mirror when it came out. I binged Luke cage. I mean, that's, I love being able to sit down and just watch it all at, at once. Now you will, you will not binge. You will, I know. you will pick at your hors d'oeuvres. I know. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's nice. And I think it also helps when you, uh, it also, you know, you might only have 12 or 13 episodes. And to me, it doesn't seem like such a big deal when you're, you know, you binge it and get the whole story and everything and you're kind of sated as opposed to when they throw in a whole bunch of episodes that don't really matter that much and they throw in a whole bunch of episodes of, oh, we took a three week hiatus. So here's an episode that's got a bunch of flashback stuff to remind you what happened in the first part of the season that was, you know, four months ago type stuff. Well, I imagine if the user feedback is negative regarding the incremental traditional approach, they'll probably consider changing it up if the show's popular enough to warrant a second season. Well, the show's going to be popular enough for that. It's like setting records for Amazon for how or for how quickly its it, its viewer numbers and its ratings and stuff are. Okay. Well, I guess carheads can check that out and see if they like it too. 
Now to talk about the stuff we normally talk about. Yes, we are not we are not a motorhead podcast, but we do cater to pinheads. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of pinball news. Of course, that's pretty typical in pinball because it's such a small niche har- hobby, but we do have our 2016 Modern Era Pinball Designer Tournament going on. So that has filled the void as we knew it would. This is you see it's all planned. We're all it's like a cycle, a cycle of news and entertainment in between the news. So I have the round one results to announce, and then we'll discuss the round two matchups. So dun 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 dun. Yeah, pretty epic, pretty epic tones from your vocal cords there for a not too epic uh, series of results because they're just so few <laughs> matchups compared <laughs> to uh, when we did our 1980s Machine Mania tournament. But uh, for round one, John Papaduke beat Joel Balser. I I hope I'm saying his last name right. Uh, and Papa Duke had 65.8% of the vote and Mark Ritchie beat John Borg with 57.9% of the vote. So Tony, any thoughts on either of those results? I was curious to see how Papa Duke would do in this. If he was going to be more hurt by his more recent escapades compared to the the actual high-quality machines he's put out in the past and how popular those machines are. So I think that's something that's going to be more seen as a as we move in and he starts going against bigger-name people. But, yeah, it was I, that was my biggest curiosity, was to see how long and how quick he would go in. Did you uh, vote for him? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I did. So, uh, uh, and I, I'm not particularly surprised by his result. And I, for me, it came down uh, in terms of why I wasn't surprised. uh, It mostly revolved around the fact that I just, so many of Papa Duke's are arguably quite limited count of designs. They're just better rated than than Balser's. I think Balser's probably most well-known for the Simpsons pinball party, I believe is one he designed. Uh, but you know, Hobbit wizard of Oz, which are his more recent games. They're more controversial picks when it comes to how they play. You know, I'd say I'm trying not to bias. I have my own biases. I'm not a fan of either of those games. I'd say if you were to broadly ask pinball people, wizard of Oz is, is seen as a as an interesting idea. A, a number of people really like the gameplay on Wizard of Oz, like the way it looks. There are some people that don't think it plays all that great. Hobbit, I think, was more of a miss. I think there are some people that are pretty impressed by what all's packed into it. But when it comes to actually playing the game, I don't know very many people who rave about it. I definitely <laughs> don't. Uh, yeah, I'm whereas, a fan. whereas my problem on the just you know I, I set aside and I assumed a lot of people would set aside any of the recent stuff regarding Papa Duke and so you're just thinking about the games that actually came out. Well, I don't like the rules on most of his games. I find his games overly easy. That's more of a coding issue, not a design issue. And I think in terms of how they shoot, they shoot fine. So I just I think he you know he had better designs. So that's why I went with him on on round one. Uh, what about the Mark Ritchie versus John Borg? Do you do you recall who you voted for there? I voted for Mark Ritchie on that one, and it was a. Uh, I figured it would be a really close one, and it was. So, 
Yeah, actually, I I almost wondered if it would have been even further apart. I I did vote for John Borg. I don't think that's surprising, given in the last episode he was in my top five designers, and Mark Ritchie was not. So that just kind of speaks to what what table designs I like. But I know Mark Ritchie has a huge fan base and some very popular table designs, and so I, I'm not surprised by the result, though. So I expected it, but I did my best to help to help John out. I just, I wasn't strong enough. So round two matchups. This time, unlike round one, which only had two matchups, we actually have four matchups in round two because as we noted in the last episode, we basically had no choice but to give six designers a buy for the first round because of the 10 count that we're running with. So we're going to hear a couple names that we just talked about back in the list, but here are the matchups. And I guess we can give our thoughts on each one as we go, since they're so brief and we have nothing else to talk about on the pinball segment. Um, Dennis Nordman will be against John Papaduke. What are your thoughts here, Tony? I think Nordman is going to take it, but that's just me. I mean, that's where my vote's probably going to go. I think I'm leaning towards him as well. Um, it's, it's tough for me because Nordum has some game designs that I don't care for so much. Whereas I, there's not a John Papaduke design that I hate playing of any of the stuff that came out. So I'm still kind of wrestling with that. Personally, I think John Papaduke will win the public support and will actually win the vote, but you think so? I do because I'm trying to, I mean, what's, uh, what's Nordum's best. Well, I mean, what are his best games? I'm trying to, it just. Uh, and I'm, I'm putting him against I'm putting him against Tales of the Arabian Nights and Theater of Magic and Circus Voltaire, which are all top twenty games. I mean, well, Norm's on this list because he's got a top twenty game, at least one, or else he wouldn't have been well, here. Yeah, but. but I mean, he's got several of my more well loved valleys. He was, you know, Doctor Dude and Party Zone, um, Whitewater from Williams, Demolition Man from Williams. Um, I mean, yeah, he's got the negative. He's got Indy 500. Uh, he's got both the Elvira games. Sure. And and so in his case, his top games are, I would say, I mean, broadly speaking, would be Whitewater and Scared Stiff. Those are the two that would, would put him at the top of the pin side rankings in terms of why his name ended up in our list of 10. And those are very, I think those are pretty strong tables. But I think, you know, people are going to think of the Indy 500s, uh, Things like Demolition Man are controversial picks. Some people don't like those. They don't like how they play. Some people like them. Some people like them because they're fairly affordable. For as a, Some people want Williams games, and you have to move down the tier as the prices have gone up in order to maintain affordability. So I just, I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. I just think Papa Duke has a bigger fan base than, than Nordum does. It's because you of the, you know, what four games that Papa Duke has. No, I don't think anyone's going to call any of them a dog. And I'm just wondering if those negatives, because Nordum has some misses, if that's going to pull them down. And I think it will. But I haven't decided that it will pull my vote down. I still haven't decided on that one. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's a, I can see some valid concerns with that, how people could see it. We'll just have to see because yeah, it's, it's a tough call because neither – I mean, Papa Duke's tried to stay active but has been failing. And then Nordum, he has remained active in design, but it's it's you know it's very spread out. He's done things for – like I believe he worked for on Lexi Lightspeed for the Multimorphic, but no one owns that yet. He did some work with the uh, Wonelli. 
He's done, I think he was involved in some regard with Highway uh, to help with their pins. So, you know, he's sort of been spread out rather than just focused at one manufacturer. I don't know if that helps or hurts. Some of those games are very difficult. To f- I've still never played a Wonelli. Um, you know, we don't see Highway pins very much in the, around here. We saw one briefly and they didn't keep it on location long because it didn't work well. But yeah. Yeah, next matchup. That one disappeared off pretty quick. Here's a, our next one we, I think we should talk about will be uh, Mark Ritchie is going up against George Gomez. Any thoughts? Well, that's a tough one for me. I mean, that's one is really tough. I mean, Mark Ritchie obviously has a lot of pens, but Gomez has some pens that are just, especially for the more, um, some of the more modern pens that are really popular, like Lord of the Rings. Yep. And uh, Johnny Mnemonic, uh, both fairly popular games, or at least I like them. I, I know some people don't like Johnny Mnemonic that much. I, I, I like it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's uh, Johnny Mnemonic's all that controversial as a player game. I just think operators didn't like it too much because that stupid glove was a mechanical nightmare. But well, you know, the claw and demolition man also, but demolition man is seen as pretty clunky. Whereas I think Johnny mnemonics fairly well respected as a decent flow game. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I haven't decided here either. I, th- I think of both of them have very, you know, very strong games in their, in their repertoire. Uh, Gomez, I'm, I am leaning towards him if only because he's got some more recent machines and they, Again, I'm trying to just think on the design level, but um, you know it's hard to separate them from the rules, and the rules have gotten better as time has gone by. Whereas Mark Ritchie has been out of it for a while, and so most yeah, of his games, Mark Ritchie's put out some games that are very, uh, they have their own thing. I mean, I mean, like, I mean, Taxi's and always popular. Diners not isn't a bad game at all. Uh, Big Guns is a pretty awesome game, actually, and. uh uh, furry cops. He's got furry cops. That's right. Um, police force, I believe. Yeah, furry cops. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> the issue is other than I'm not sure on on the police force one, but the other ones you named are all System Eleven with relatively shallow rule sets. So yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, the yeah, the layouts. I think I I enjoy playing all of those. I there's never one of those that I I shy away from, but. You know, likewise, I've never had this. I'd say Taxi's probably the one I enjoyed the most of the ones you named, uh, in terms of one that I we would maybe like to have, like to own. But I've also seen pretty much everything that there is to do on it already, and that's okay. It's just compared to again, we don't want to just think Gomez and Lord of the Rings, which was unusually epic in the scope of depth of what all you could experience in the game. But he's had, you know, he's had a few others that were noteworthy. And, you know, his work on uh, trying to help at the end of Williams era, you know, whether or not you want to give him props for Pinball 2000 and his efforts on that or not, I guess, depends on the sort of player that you are. But he has misses, too, though. See, for me, both of them have some misses. And George had, you know, like Transformers, which I've never liked. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, you know, Transformers for me was kind of like WWE in that it was a game that I didn't really like. But when it came tournament time, I always seemed to do really well on it. Yeah, I 
I won. I mean, I won in some tur- tournament games on Transformers. My issue with it, I mean, I guess so in a regard, I didn't, I never hated playing it. It's just whenever I walk up to it, clunky. That's what I thought. And maybe uh, I think we were playing an LE version and maybe that was just a feature. It just, there were toys everywhere. It seemed like the ball that smacked into everything, which was good, but then it didn't always go where it needed to go. I, of all of our location pins that we've played since we started playing in 2015, I don't think I've seen ball search activate as much as I have on Transformers. Oh, that's true. That's really, that's very true. But again, this isn't the Transformers versus Mark Ritchie, Paul. It is the George. <laughs> it's just so, but those negatives, they, they, they do weigh on me. So uh, I'm, I'm having some, I'm still thinking on that one, but uh, all right. Third matchup, third of the four would be John Trudeau is up against Steve Ritchie. Well, we knew one of those matches would come pretty early where it's somebody pretty high ranking and, and Steve Ritchie with how small of a, we went, and I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna end up going with Steve Ritchie just because overall it's too many games that I love. Yeah, for me it's not that one. Uh, despite the fact that uh, if Trudeau was up against Nordum, Papaduke, Ritchie, or Gomez, I'd vote Trudeau, <laughs> uh, not against Steve Ritchie. And of yeah, course, that's the thing is, I th- I think John Trudeau could be. be- with, I mean, for me, hands down, pretty much everybody in this list, except for like Steve Ritchie and Pat Lawler, uh, I think he could take pretty much anybody else. But I think those two are the big guns. And, well, that's who he got first step out of the gate. So, yeah, hmm. it's, but, you know, we both picked Steve as our, as our favorite designer last episode. So I'm sure listeners aren't surprised. I think Trudeau will actually put up a, a, a decent showing on the percentages though. I, Oh, I think so too. There are a lot of people that are fans of, of his design format. It's just, it's less of a flow format and his is for me. I always associate more with a more challenging flipper gap coupled with a uh, heavy focus on theme integration. He usually he's more experimental. So he tends to go with more gimmicks on that are, often new concepts on the table than what you would see from Steve Ritchie, who was quite an innovator back in the eighties and before he was really pushing innovations then, but now he's just more known for those clean flow designs. So I think, I think uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it. My prediction will be Trudeau will lose this, but I think he'll get at least 40%. I could see that. I don't have a problem seeing that. Oh, and I did. I looked it up uh, back to our previous conversation um furry cops is system 11 okay it felt like it it was uh from the from the same era but i just there are like 30 system 11 games but sometimes i want to say something's a system 11 when it isn't so i have to be careful uh last matchup and this one i think is going to be pretty uh polarizing uh and frustrating for a lot of people pat lawler versus brian eddy this is literally my hardest matchup that we've had so far because Pat Lawler has so many games that are just amazing and that I love. But my literal favorite game of all time is a Brian Eddy game. So so it, it gets back to that that question of does the does the one shining example of a game, you know, blind blind out the other the other designer in the vote or is it the entire body of work? And then how do you factor it again, much like 
uh, situation with Papaduke, Brian Eddy didn't have a lot of games that went to production that he designed. So, right. And and, but the, the thing, thing is, because of that, his stable of games is all really good. Yeah. Whereas I mean, we all can identify a bomb from that we don't like from Lawler. He's going to have, it's like Steve Ritchie, he has enough games. There's going to be one you don't like. Yeah, and, and with Eddie, it's like, oh, is it Attack from Mars or or is it Medieval Madness? That's you know, <laughs> sure, or Shadow. That'd probably be the or lowest ra- yeah. lowest rated of them, but, but still. Shadow's still a good game. I enjoy, I really enjoy Shadow every time I play it. Yeah, a lot of people would say. I my sense would be uh, many people, many pinheads would say that Shadow is one of the best what they might call B tier games, top B tier it and Bram Stoker's Dracula are always the two I see mentioned. So, so I definitely could imagine that, but yeah, I have not decided how I'm going to cast my vote on, on these two yet. Uh, In truth, I lean towards Eddie because uh, fair or not, the fact that uh, there are games by Lawler that I do not like, and I don't know of a game by Eddie that I can name that I don't like to play. It it really pushes me to just say, well, I'm you know, I guess he lucked out by not having as many games, but they were all winners to me. Well, which Lawler games do you not like? Roadshow. We're gonna have to agree to disagree on that. Roller Coaster Tycoon. I haven't played it, so I don't know. I played it at Texas. Granted it wasn't working, but I blame him. <laughs> it 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 was mo- it was mostly functional, but the troll was very obnoxious. I'm sure he didn't voice the troll, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, actually, the roller coaster ty- tycoon looks to be a fairly decent layout. Uh, no, Pat was just willing to uh, dabble in wide bodies a lot as well, which some of them worked out. Like Twilight Zone, I think is a pretty decent wide body layout for being a wide body. But you know my thoughts on wide bodies. I'm, I'm very yes, skeptical you have your, of your your irrational wide body hatred. Look. We could go into why they, they just do not geometrically, they do not play as well. And I could explain why with math, but we're not going to, we're not going to do that. We're going to be merciful to our listeners. (laughs) Speaking of merciful, which reminds me of mercy. I think we're ready to segue into the video game portion of the podcast. Which, that was a lovely segue. Thank you. I've been working on them. I've been trying to make them far more entertaining to, to enhance, <laughs> to enhance and give life breathe fresh energy into our discussions. And so we only have one topic for the video game segment this time, but it is a meaty one. And that is Overwatch, of course, because we're now the eclectic Overwatch pinball podcast. So it's pretty much how we've been hitting pretty hard lately. Well, you know what, when I'm, if I'm not getting contacted on, you know, Facebook or whatnot about pinball stuff, it tends to be about Overwatch. So people, people who listen are interested in us talking about Overwatch. So apparently it's, got broad reach like many blizzard games do so congratulations blizzard you have another cash cow there was a recent patch that introduced a slew of changes to both the pc and the console side of the game so i just figured we should go ahead and cover the major ones ones that we identify as major which which are gonna i think universally be agreed upon and just give our thoughts on that so, Tony, what I thought we should go ahead is probably go with the most obvious change, which is the addition of the new character, Sombra. We talked about her a little bit when she was formally announced, but now we have both, I believe, actually played her. So I think we can probably give some thoughts, maybe. I'm not a big fan of her, but I don't think she's going to be a problem. I think 
like I don't think she's gonna be a bad character. I don't think she's going to be a character that you see like rarely, like Symmetra. Though lately, I have come up against some seriously hardcore Symmetra players, but um, I just she doesn't work with my play style very well. I've had some issues. Uh, the few times only I've only gotten to play her a couple of times, um, and one of those was in one of the new arcade one v one matches. But I just I don't know, I don't feel as useful. Maybe I just haven't figured everything out. Though hacking somebody, you know, as they are uh, ulting and locking stuff down is kind of fun. And watching somebody run over a health pack and not be able to pick it up is humorous. But I don't know. I don't know if I've played her enough to tell. I know it when people have been playing, I've played against her a lot more. And I haven't had anything happen yet where I see somebody playing her and I'm just like, well, that's annoying or where it upsets me. She seems to just fit into a mid-tier type character where it's annoying, but it's not like rage-inducing. My overall, like you, this is not a character type that appeals to me to play a lot. The main thing, she to me, she feels a lot like Tracer. So I'm seeing her, get, like I thought when I saw the notes, she tends to get in the back, get behind people. And so she can be very annoying in that gnat kind of way where you keep getting stung, which is how I associate Tracer, where she's so fast, she's real good at flanking people. The use of her ult, Sombra's ult, has not come across as OP to me, like I feared. It hasn't yeah, been I was worried about that. It hasn't been her her ability to get in hasn't been so strange as to just totally be dominating in a way that i mean it, it's interesting it's i think that i think her old is actually a really good addition i think it's playing out pretty well i think the most frustrating thing with her was something that i didn't think too much before but you already touched on the ability to hack health boxes and so on some of these maps there's always that there's one health of a lot of times that a team will be bottlenecked and oriented towards always grabbing so if she's able to hack that it can really disrupt the flow especially if you're in a pickup team which is what i'm usually in and sometimes they don't run with healers and so you need the health packs if you don't want people to die and have to come running back how can a pickup team that you're in not have a healer don't you always go healer if nobody else does if I if I wait and do my pick, but normally what happens, if you must know, is that they start with a healer and then as soon as they die, they get mad that they weren't offensive enough and they change their character. And uh, I don't, yeah, I've seen that happen a lot in the past. So I'll see someone with Mercy or Lucio and I'll think, oh, no, we've got the healing covered. I'm not going to just auto kill myself because someone does. I often don't even realize right away that they switched. I'm not reading that text constantly. So they'll switch away from healer and I won't know. And by then it's like, well, let's see, do I go healer or do and give up my 85% charge on Reaper? I don't think so. That's stupid. Yeah. The the ult's too powerful. So while I will sometimes try and bandage that together, uh, no, I, even I have my limits. So no, I usually, yeah, I usually try and make sure there is a healer, but if someone else chose to be healer and then they decided that they didn't want to do it, we just kind of have to live with it sometimes, especially if I'm another crit- like it's not unusual for me to get stuck when I'm in groups. And I, maybe you've seen this as well, where I'll see it's a, it's like a Sophie's choice esque thing where it's, do we go without a tank or do we go without a healer? I've been in those situations and it's like, lot. what, what choice do you do? Cause they're both pretty critical, pretty much 
no matter what. So, uh, and a lot of times, yeah, I do tend to break on the healer side, but it depends on the map because some maps I, I'd just be like, if we're escorting a payload, I'm just like, I want a Reinhardt. I, I'm, I'd be willing to do it without the healer even just because the shield's so useful. But see, in those situations, I normally go Lucio because he's the best balance. I think of all around, uh, support, uh, Though, like you said, with with certain times, the tank might be more important. But I think Lucio helps more overall. Yeah, and I, on most maps, I do go Lucio. I, he is my highest playtime for a reason. So, uh, anyway, Sombra. Yeah, no, the only thing that's bugging me right now, and it's not the character's design problem, is because she's new, she, everyone's trying to use her, including on maps where I think she's awful. So, it's just, we almost... Almost every game. It was really until this weekend. Uh, with the, they're doing a new fr- another free weekend on Xbox. So there have been a bunch of. I've had a few groups where there wasn't a Sombra, but otherwise there was always a Sombra, and they're hiding the whole time, trying to hack health and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, we're a five player team now. But on the plus side, the enemy team's probably five as well because they've also got a worthless Sombra. Yeah, running around. Yeah, because they don't. Because no one, right? No one knows how to play her right yet. So it's not. You know, it's a mix of trying to learn new things, and then they don't. You know, they're trying to. They think they're going to hack, and they're breaking off on their own though. And so they're not with the. So anyway, it gets to my frustration on things like trying to capture points and stuff with characters that refuse to fight on points. That's my right, biggest frustration yeah. with junk rats is they always think that they need to be in the back and lob grenades, and it's like, okay, oh, well, see, we just lost overtime junk rat at all. It's how uh, a lot of them do. Uh, oh, I, I know. I've seen people do it, but I mean, I'm I play Junkrat very offensively and very forward, and I try to go with a bit more. I, I try to go with mobility and you know using my mind to reposition people type stuff. Uh, that's how I tend to play them, and I'm I I always get on a point if I'm anywhere even close to it because the point's my goal. But I always get on a point with pretty much everybody. It's one of the reasons I don't play any of the sniper classes very much, in, except for like when they're doing the like the, the mystery hero brawl where it just randomly changes you every death right. to a different hero, which is my favorite brawl that we had uh, before they came in with all these arcade modes and the new game modes and everything. I love mystery hero brawl is the best actually that was what i had down is to transition into was the new game modes so uh, i'm assuming that it's paralleled well on the pc but uh so the main the main strokes of what i'm familiar with are the quick play is now like competitive in that every team can only have one of each character type yes and they introduced an arcade mode which now has a 1v1 which rotates you randomly with you and the opponent being the same character I think it's first to five wins or something along those lines. Then there's a 3v3 elimination mode where you get to pick. Again, each character must be unique, uh, but you only have one life for each character. And uh, Mystery Hero, they have a 6v6 Unlimited, which is kind of like how Quick Play used to be. Um, And the Mystery Hero is, as you describe, it's a 6v6 where what you are assigned as a character is random and it changes. It's random every time you die. Yeah, I love that because it's just... You know, it, everything's different. You don't have somebody sitting there playing. And it's hilarious because you can always tell when you're playing and somebody randoms into something that they primary because suddenly see they're, you know, being awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've only played this mode, I think, three times currently. 
and I, oh, I, I, I like the four hours the uh, other day. No, no, I, I, I get too frustrated sometimes. The, uh, <laughs> I, I like the idea of it uh, in short bursts, kind of like competitive. I, my normal rule with competitive mode is I'll play competitive until my team loses, and then I switch to quick play or something else so that I don't yeah. get angry. Because I don't want to get. Fr- I, I only play occasionally on competitive, not nearly as much as I probably should, just because with the kids and everything, I, I feel bad trying popping up and leaving a competitive game where a quick play game or anything else, I'll just quit. I don't care. Yeah, because it it'll fill it'll fill the slot. Right. But uh, you know, the mystery hero overall, yeah, neat idea. Uh, unfortunately, my first experience was frustrating because we ended up with three Symmetras on our team towards the end, and they four of their six players were Diva. And we just and we just couldn't stop them. We just couldn't stop them anymore. They had four divas of mercy, and I don't know what the sixth was. It didn't matter because the mercy just kept everyone up in the mech suits with the with the new buffs to health that she has. So it was like we just couldn't damage her enough, and they just kept marching with the little thing. And then I die and be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be all right." No, I'm Symmetra again. I actually got one, and I got I think I got her twice in a row. It was very frustrating. It's like they wanted me to lose. Yeah, and I got lose, that one day where I got freaking Hanzo twice in a row. Oh, Hanzo. Those Hanzo trolls. I've played him a little bit more, but I don't want to be one of those people. You know, Hanzo mains. I don't don't want to hate Hanzo, but I don't really enjoy Hanzo that much. And I've seen some people who played Hanzo very aggressively and very good. I mean, they had really impressive scores. And then there's the people who, you know, just kind of sit somewhere and just spam arrows through a choke point, hoping for random, like, headshots. Yeah. So... Um, what did you think of the one v one? I liked the one v one a lot. I've only played it a few times, but it's enjoyable, and I suck. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I I didn't get skunked at it when I I only done it once. I I yeah, think no, it's, I, I think it's a good I, idea. I've, I've, I've never gotten wiped on it where I didn't win at least you know a a match or two, but. But uh, it, it, I'm not sure I'm a strong enough player to ever really be that great at it. I mean, because it's not just, I mean, if I got a character I'm really familiar with, yeah, I had a really good shot, but because I rotate through so many. Uh, yeah, the first time I played it, my, the very first character that popped up was Sombra, so we were both Sombras. And yeah. I won that one. And then uh, we shifted to Diva, and I barely lost that one. And then we shifted to uh, May, and I lost that one. And then we shifted to Soldier 76, and I lost that one by early. I mean, he had, like, no health left. Hmm. I don't remember what my original five were, other than I know Sombra was the first character for me as well, and I but I lost a Sombra. And then I, I, I got— I won a Sombra with, like, four health left. I mean, the only, it was literally nothing left. Yeah, no, the, the worst one is, uh, I know my opponent got a perfect when we were both Hanzo. He uh, headshot me. Oh, wow. Yeah. I shot at him. I I missed him, and it was in a tight corridor, and he just, his arrow hit me in the head. So that was it. It was a short match. Uh, what do you think of the new map, the Antarctica map? <sighs> it's... It's exactly what, I mean, for the 1v1 and the 3v3, they needed a smaller map. Um, 
I've got no problems with it. It seems pretty nice. Uh, I haven't played it enough to really... I haven't learned all the tricks or the nuances or anything, but I'm pretty happy with it all in all. Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's got a decent layout. I actually think it's a little big for the 1v1, but I think it works well for the 3v3. Yeah, when the, when the 1v1, it is it did feel a little... Uh, well, and like I said, the first time we played it, we were, we were both Sombra, so I think we were both running past each other invisibly at times. Oh, uh, yeah. On, on my case, we were both uh, Torbjorns. Torborn. Uh, yeah, Torbjorn. And as... And we didn't find each other. It went so long and then just highlighted both of us on the screen, like Widow Vision style, <laughs> because we just we didn't encounter each other. Uh, and you know why? Because we were both hanging out by our turrets. I'm just going to stand by my turret. Let yeah. him come up to me. And he won, too, which was sad. I almost had him. I I shouldn't lose as Torbjorn. Torbjorn. I'm well, tra- I'm well trained as a Torbjorn. Um, speaking yeah, of I characters, saw your, though, I saw, your, I saw your character time on Shornborn. It's, it's not it's not healer high. Well, he's higher than a, a couple of the healers or one of the he's higher than Anna or he was when I took that. He might not be anymore, but um, he I think he is. I believe in him. Uh, and so those me and Dennis both put uh, screenshots of our hero playtimes up on the Eclectic Gamers uh, Facebook page. Facebook.com uh, slash Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Exactly. And had a had a discussion about it and and I I just tried to ignore how sad it is that I think I've got one character I've got more time in than Dennis has in like all of his characters combined. Well, you have been playing Overwatch for months longer than me, so that there's that, and I also play another shooter quite a bit, so my time is, is limited. My time is is limited by a couple of factors. So I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it. I, instead, I would feel bad that Junkrat is my prime. That would be what I would feel bad about. Junkrat's awesome. You need if you're on offensive map, you need somebody who can really push. Junkrat can do you. You defensive map, you need somebody who can help hold the line. Junkrat will hold the line. I guess he's just great. Then I guess all and my characters are trash. Just Junkrat trash. Will flank. No, I'm not saying everybody else is trash. I'm just saying junk crap. I'm just saying I've never, you know, I've seen scenarios where when people are loading in and Blizzard gives its little tips, I've seen things say such statements as too many snipers, no tanks, no healers, but I've never actually seen something say not enough junk rat. (laughs) I'm just saying I have have seen too many defensive players. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I have seen that. I have seen that rarely, rarely. Uh, most of the time I get stuck with people where it's defend, you know, defend this these points uh, like on Hanamura or something. And my whole team went offense for some reason. Yeah. Like, oh, gosh. Where's now, the, I do have. Where's the junk rat when you need them? <laughs> I, I broke. I know I spoke several episodes ago when we were talking about uh, uh, Overwatch. Um I think it was uh, when Jack Danger was on, uh, how I had zero Genji time. I now have three minutes Genji time because every single person on my team went Genji to start the match, and I didn't want to be that guy who broke it out. So we went in with six Genjis. Okay. Yeah, I, I had a Genji time like that. I've done a little bit more Genji. I still just don't switch to him much, but I don't. It's, it, you know, it's, it's again, it's a vicious cycle. I'm not, I don't want to play him cause I'm not very good with him, but if I don't ever play him, I'll never be good with him. 
that's kind of nice about doing mystery hero though, because I don't find that their little training mode with the bots is very helpful for learning the characters, but doing something like that, where I'm forced to play a character um, that helps. And I've gone into some quick play matches and I've just said, okay, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to do Hanzo. I'm going to start to learn how to do Hanzo. And now I'm not uncomfortable when I'm Hanzo, but I still don't like him. So I was just, you know, as you would expect, you wouldn't like every single character. They all, they play too differently. It's yeah. too hard. It'd be too hard to like them all. But if they all played the same, they might, you might as well go play some silly game like, like COD or, or Battlefield. Battlefield doesn't play the same, <laughs> but they give you a far fewer choices. It's, it's more realistic. We'll say as I use a machine gun in world war one, more realistic. <laughs> So as we're starting to talk about the characters, we should note that there were a number of characters that did receive some buffs. There are also some characters that received some nerfs, but I figured let's let's start with some of the buffed characters. And I don't know if you've tested all of them out that have received buffs, but like the ones I know that have received direct buff enhancement have been Farah, Soldier 76, Torbjorn. Those are three that I've played that were buffed. I don't know. I've if played uh, Farah and Soldier since the patch came out. Are there any others that you're aware of that got a distinct buff in some capacity that you've played that I didn't list? Not that I've played that I'm aware of. I could I could look up the patch notes to well, see. Well, I mean, sure. if if, it's, if you don't have one highlighted in your mind, that's fine. What were yeah. your? I guess. In, so, in your case with Soldier and Pharaoh, what are your thoughts having tried them now that they've had their enhancements? What do you do? You like the changes to them? I like the changes. I like I like fair I like Farah's ability that if you play it right, you can fly for pretty much ever which is something that i like a lot um i mean you can't just hold the button obviously but you can you can keep your height so you don't have to come down you can you can float long enough to uh build up your next uh boost again that's really nice uh i know they did some adjustments to her damage. Uh, let me see. They increased the minimum d- explosive damage by 13%. Uh, they decreased the minimum knockback to 0%, and they increased the lift of the jump jets by 35%. That's why she can fly more. And her uh, uh, the uh, increase in damage and everything means she's doing pretty good hitting on especially for your near misses and stuff so that's been going pretty well yeah i i've played her a little bit with with the changes i've noticed more on the on the rockets than on the flight stuff itself though when i'm fighting against pharaohs i'm noticing now they actually can be in the air a lot so Mm -hmm. you do have to keep your eyes to the sky in a way that you didn't all like you she'd be up there briefly, but then, you know, she's going to land and that's when you could try and get her a lot of times. So I think it's a good change for her. Likewise. I think soldier 76, I have played him more. I play him more than Farah anyway. Uh, I think that his damage uh, modifications that they have made were an almost necessary move because he is not one of the more common offensive characters I've been encountering. And I think because it was just, there were better choices. Uh, I agree. So, and, and the, the, I mean, they didn't take it. It doesn't, I mean, they didn't take his damage up a whole lot, but you can tell. And I know uh, looking at the notes, they were supposed to have increased his maximum bullet spread a, a touch, but I haven't noticed it at all. Yeah. So. I, 
in most situations, I don't think you it's all that noticeable, but where I believe it is noticeable is he is very much, in my view, a, a hard counter to Farah. And I think it's showing a lot better with these changes that he's a really big threat to her now when she's in the sky because of that. Sp- I think that spreads more noticeable at the distances she is when she's up high. So anyway, I think it was a very good change. I'm sure Farah players are frustrated now because Soldier is more of a threat than he was before. Well, and but, I always considered Soldier a pretty so a pretty hard counter for Farah anyway. Yeah, he, he's always, I'm sure he was always meant to be. But just with the the da- I think the damage thing, we'll see if it's enough to actually start resulting in a lot more people playing Soldier. I, as of the last week, I have been seeing him more. I don't know if it's enough to you know say there's a trend or not. And we'll see what happens, of course, on the pro levels when they release their percentages to know if they're actually thinking that Farah and Soldier are characters that are worth their time. Offensive characters have always suffered on the pro scene. They've been some of the least popular, I think. Uh, outside of uh, occasional situational uses of certain ones like Reaper in particular or Tracer, if they're desperately trying to get to a point when they're about to lose and they'll lose anyway, cause it's the pro scene. But <laughs> um, so uh, the only other one, which I have, which you, you don't play is Torbjorn and Torbjorn needed buffs. He needed them desperately more, more so than soldier and Farah ever did because Torbjorn was seen as a joke and Torbjorn needs to be respected. As so, a joke, he needs to be respected. So two two changes of note that they did. One, which one is his hammer swings faster now, and that is important because the hammer swings are what determine when a tier one turret gets to be upgraded to a tier two turret. That's and, a nice help because anytime you drop a tier one turret and you you can't get it up to two, it doesn't matter because a one is useless. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're so really weak. Damage. They're really weak in terms of damage, and they have next to no health. So it's really easy for people to destroy them. A fair or anyone will be able to get up above. The turrets aren't that smart, so it's easy enough to flank them or just peek around a corner and just chip them away. But a tier one just doesn't last. The problem with Torbjorn wasn't at the beginning when he could easily get a tier two. It's when there's pressure on the point. Why would you want to stay as him when when he's under fire, he's not going to be able to pull out his hammer and upgrade. So he's going to just drop a tier one turret. The turret is a big part of his repertoire. So if it's weak, he is weak. And that's why people don't like him, I think. The other big change, which I'd say actually from my perspective, having a significant amount of time you know, uh, in terms of percentages on Torbjorn is he now passively generates scrap. Which is... The- useful it's massively useful the reason is normally if he wants to get scrap he has to go where people died and he picks up the scrap on paper that i'm sure sounded great that's how reaper picks up his health balls and the you know it it's you know it's a normal thing it's a normal concept you know you loot the bodies when you're done but torbjorn the with how overwatch plays he's a defensive character he's hanging back he's keeping his turret repaired the enemies because so many of the attackers you know like aside from genji are ranged attackers a lot of times where the enemy dies is kind of in the enemy's control zone not yours so you're playing him on defense because he's a defensive character the offense is dying in a choke point it's usually not safe for torbjorn to run up there and start gathering scrap so, yeah very true so in my instance, there were a lot of times where there would be plenty of scrap for me to armor the entire team, but I couldn't safely try and get it. 
And it was more important for me to stay alive so that I could keep the turret up or I could keep lobbing my molten gunshots at range than it would be to try and, and risk dying. And then you have to wait for my 22nd return. So to me, that's actually the biggest change. I think they let him have a, a lower amount of scrap total on him. So he needs to just be sure to keep throwing out armor, but yeah, it just sits there. So it's balanced by the, uh, the amount of scrap you collect from a fallen enemy was reduced. Yeah. So it's, so yeah, I think that was, uh, that, that's, that's perfectly fair. But it's nice now, so that if Torbjorn can't get near the bodies, he still will eventually generate enough. And, and it's a decent clip, so he'll generate enough so he can actually start armoring people, which again is, well, he's not a support character, he's a defensive character. That's a key part of his repertoire, because you're giving up a lot of stuff when you go with Torbjorn. So they needed to do something to make his support aspects better. The only thing else I wanted to say on the buff side is I was very surprised they did not make any changes that I saw to Symmetra. They didn't. Uh, the other ones, let me go through here now. Um, they buffed Mercy. Uh, her passive health regeneration now activates when she avoids taking damage for one second instead of three seconds. Uh, yeah, I, I, oh, I should have listed that one. I have played her a little bit since that came out. It is noticeable. It is very useful. The problem I think for Mercy is I her ultimate is still a bit it's a I don't know. I don't know how you fix it. Her ultimate I know they from when the game first came out they reduced the time before everyone is resurrected. The problem though and I took a video yesterday of when I did this exploited this on another Mercy or tried to. But they do the she does the res, everyone comes back where they're dead. So if they died to an ult like if they died because uh, Diva nerfed this and blew them all up, then they all just come back in the same spot. Reaper just ults and kills them again. Yeah, I've I've seen that happen. And so, but anyway, Far- uh, excuse me, Mercy gets focus fired a lot. At least when I'm Mercy, I swear I get focus fired more as Mercy than when I'm any other healer. Part of that is she has limited mobility. Part of that is her big old beam tether is a beacon of mm-hmm. kill, kill me. I am an angel of mercy. So. This one second versus three second, it definitely has made a difference if I can get safely away. But if you're obviously for teams that can continue to keep her under focus fire, it has changed nothing. So, you know, as long as you target her, it shouldn't change anything. But uh, I've noticed, you know, I've noticed a little bit of it. So, yes, that was a I'm glad you mentioned that one because I should not have forgotten that I play Mercy quite a bit. Yeah. And the other there was one other buff uh, to Widowmaker. The Venomine will no longer damage the person who placed it, so so Widowmaker can't be hurt by her own mine. And the charge rate on her on the Widow's Kiss, the sniper shot was increased by twenty percent. So maybe more people will play Widowmaker. I I don't know. Great, because really that's what we need. And now she's not. I don't know. I barely play Widowmaker. Every time I've tried her, I've not liked her. I've felt that I'm not helping the team. Uh, let's talk about some of the nerfs. Okay, there's a bunch of those. Most of them can be summed up in one way. Um, ults charge slower. Yes. I actually think that's a good change, though. I do, too. Yay. I mean, they were. it just started to turn into ult spam. I'm glad. And now it seems like in most games, people get to... Uh, three or three or four of them are highly good at doing chip damage and, and stuff, but you know it 
if you're not doing much, it was silly for you to get three every game. I thought, yeah. So I actually had a game where I only got one because I I was Ryan Harding and I wasn't attacking. I was just being the shield, and that was fine. I had it, and because uh, I didn't fire it off right away, so I probably would have earned two had I used it as soon as possible. But you know, I save it for when it's special. Oh, that's another minor thing that popped up um, that was changed is dealing damage to like Chornborn's turret or Symmetra's teleporter no longer charges your ultimate. And I'm guessing that was part of the reason why on the more professional scene, why people were discouraged from playing a character like Torbjorn, because it's so easy to attack the, the turret compared to a professional player. I mean, I I can target turrets. So it's it, it was just way too easy in a game where it comes down to which team has the most ults they can fire off at a time, basically wins that checkpoint. It was, yeah, it was just... It was unfair in a way. It, it was like, no, we don't want a Torbjorn. Or you can be Torbjorn, but you can't drop your turret. And if you can't drop your turret, then why would you be Torbjorn? And we forgot one other buff that I don't know how we forgot it, because I think it's probably the character who got the most buffs overall. Uh, D.Va. Her oh, ulti- yeah. The ultimate cost to call her mech uh, was dropped by 20%. Uh, her mech health was increased by 200 or I'm sorry, increased to 200, so it was doubled. Uh, the armor's still 400, so instead of having a total health of 500, she's up to 600. And uh, her movement speed while firing was increased by 25%. Yeah, the uh, now I believe the recharge change was just so the ult charge slower nerf did not affect her for getting the mech. Yeah, so that, that was that's what it so, was. Right, so that that practically will will visually be no change for anyone. The, everything else, though, was was a notable buff. Um, and, you know, our our two-time guest host, Mike, he primaries D.Va. So he'd probably be a good one to ask in terms of it. I've played her a little bit since the change. And the health is definitely noticeable. I mean, it's that is a big help. I, I mean, and again, I look back to when I watched like the Overwatch World Cup and such. D.Va is at the professional level. She's the least played of the tanks. And I'm assuming this is an attempt to try and rectify that. Yeah, I can see it. Makes sense to me. Just like on two of the nerfs I highlighted for me to remember, Anna and Lucio, I think were deliberately done because those are 95% of the healer teams at the pro level is Anna-Lucio combo. And so the big nerf on Anna is they changed her ult. So the nano boost will no longer boost speed good because Reinhardt should not be keeping up with a speed boosted Lucio which is really annoying yeah uh, and I know they did that because they're hoping that Anna will now start to use her nano boost on other characters I have to admit I've exploited the speed boost on on the nano boost aspect in order to try and get uh, maintain an overtime when I'm about trying to prevent a loss and mm-hmm. just fire it into the nearest butt of anyone running in front of me and then get them to zip ahead. But I know at the pro level, uh, nano boosting by Anna was on two things. You either nano boosted your Reinhardt or you nano boosted Genji, depending on what the other team makeup was. And that's it. That's the only two she would ever buff. She would never boost anyone else. So... We'll see if it has its desired effect. I have to admit, as someone who played Anna as my third most common a healer of, I, yeah, I think I have her a little bit higher than Zenyatta on time now. Uh, this definitely, this change does make me choose her less because I'm like, oh well, it doesn't even make you fast anymore. I don't even know if it's worth it. Well, so it just I, makes you 
super strong and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. sure. No, I mean, conceptually, but she's my least favorite healer to play because at her core, she's a sniper, which is difficult for me. I have trouble with being snipers. That's why I don't like Hanzo. I hate Widowmaker and I don't ever really play McCree because they're all snipers. Well, so is Anna. I only played her because she's a healer. Yeah. People need to feel my healy love goodness. Uh, Lucio, the change, 15%, I believe, reduction on his passive healing. Yeah, uh, 10%. Oh, is it 10? Okay. It was 10% on the, it's a healing per second has been decreased by 10% on amp it up. So it's not his standard. It's just, uh, oh, okay. When you boost it with, when you amp it, uh, that's been reduced by 10%. Because, I mean, I've had multiple times playing Lucio where, you know, they, they if somebody ults into your team and you freaking amp it up, as long as anybody on the edges are going to be fine. Or, I mean, I mean, if you, I mean, Lucio's ult, I use Lucio's ult to counter most people's ults, but between that and amp it up, you can normally keep people from getting wiped out. Okay. I was wondering why when I, because when I play, I've played him a number of times since this came out. I was like, I'm not really seeing a huge difference. Yeah. It's only been decreased on the uh, amp it up. So when you boost it, you're not doing quite as much of a boosted healing as you were before. Okay, and that makes sense. I, I normally amp when I have people by me who are critical. So right, and that's how I normally amp, and or depending upon what, where, when, and why, I think I probably burn amp on speed boost more often than healing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do as well. Uh, I mean, at least at the beginning, because it's always about getting people back into position. Right. So, I, I mean, I try and I don't amp unless there's like sort of like really critical people that I'm trying to keep up because. If it's not super important and I amp and I need it, you know, 15 or, you know, a few seconds later before it's up and they can mess. So I just don't amp as often. I don't, I don't just spam amp every time the cooldown's up. Well, overall for Lucio, I think this is a good nerf. I think it's a nerf that he needed, but at the same time, I also don't see this as being enough of a nerf to change the fact that he's basically a mandatory character. No, he's still going to be a mandatory character. This isn't going to change that. And I I don't think Blizzard's intention was ever to have a character be mandatory. So, I mean, honestly, they if they if they don't want Lucio to be essentially S rank and the only S rank character, then they're going to have to do something significant. And it's got to be to his speed, I think. It's not his healing. It's his speed that's the problem. But, you know, I don't know what you do. Because th- w- without the speed, what is he then? He's nothing. Exactly. <laughs> So I did have a game the other day uh, before pre-patch where, um, oh, it was one of the mystery hero games and we mysteried into two Lucios and we just kept bouncing between which of us was healing and which of us was speed. And yeah, it was pretty powerful. We'd both go to healing if a couple people got real bad hurt, but pretty much one of us was healing and the other was speed and it worked really well. Yeah, it's very nice. Very, very nice. So uh, anything else you wanted to talk about regarding Overwatch, Overwatch changes? Uh, we'll go ahead and finish the nerfs here because there's a couple big ones. Uh, yeah, those were the only two I wanted to talk about because, as you know, I only care about healers. I know. May had her ultimate cost increased by 15% in addition to the 25%, which is good because, man, her giant blizzard freeze thing was just getting annoying because it's so large and it was happening so often. Agreed. Good change. Good nerf. Um, let's see. And probably the most important 
Zarya, uh, the power gain from her particle barrier was dropped by 20%, and the power gain from her projected barrier was dropped by 20%. So Zarya is no longer a mandatory take. Uh, yeah, and I think that change may actually, I agree with you. I think it's probably enough of a nerf that she will no longer be the partner to Reinhardt in all pro team builds, but uh, right. I haven't watched since the change. So I don't know for sure at that end, but I'm definitely seeing her play it a lot less at my level. Yeah. Cause she was just, I mean, she could, if she was, you know, if she was power boosted up, man, she was just so strong and she was just so not having, I mean, I remember when the game first started before they, before they uh, buffed Zarya originally, you never saw Zarya and then they buffed her. And she was, she was all over the place. And then when they did the last round of stuff, she got a little tweak again and pretty much she was everywhere constantly. She was mandatory. And I think that, I don't think this will, we're not going to see her as often. She's not going to be the, but I don't think it's nerfed her so much that she's going to disappear. No, no, I, I don't think so either. It's just, I think teams will have to evaluate whether or not they want to run a tank that they were running essentially because it, it became a high health uh, attack offensive DPS character and instead maybe, you know, be more situational, maybe be more willing to go, well, we can afford to give up the damage on this map. Let's Let's run the hog instead and go with the chains. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Any other nerfs? Uh, no, not on the heroes that I can see. There are a bunch of other adjustments made. Um, ba 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 ba. Is anything important? Oh, that's right. They completely messed with the amount of XP needed to level. Um, oh, yes, yes. Two through 13, they didn't touch. Uh, 14 through 100 has been reduced. And then everything after 100 was locked at 20,000 XP. And uh, so you'll level to 100 faster. And then you should uh, level out. Yeah, makes sense. I, yeah, I don't really, I, I don't really I care. But Yeah, I think, I well, I mean, I think the big thing it is that was... I think it's more one of those things that it's like, oh, everybody up through a hundred will level pretty quick, and they'll get their they'll get their loot boxes really quick, and then after a hundred, it gets slower, and maybe more people will buy loot boxes. Yeah, I think you're right. So, I think that's the the most likely and obvious thing. Okay, well then I guess we can move into the third and final segment of the podcast, the tabletop section, which you have something to talk about regarding the digital realm and board games. Uh, this is thanks to a discussion I had with Dan from the pinball podcast. And um, there are a lot of the really popular board games out there that are putting out uh, digital versions anymore. I mean, we've talked in the past about Tabletop Simulator and all the different games you can put in and the different games they have on their collection uh, and stuff. But a lot of other games are getting digital versions that are really fun to play, and they're really nice because you can do solo gaming and or play online uh 
And they're really becoming very common on the mobile platforms like your phones and your tablets and such. I think the big thing with them, uh, what I like so much about them is for games that have a lot of, uh, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, just stuff to keep track of, uh, like just normal stuff that happens, uh, like flipping cards and uh, things like that. Sort it, of the tedious things. Right, right. The uh, uh, That kind of stuff. It, it does them all automatically. Like, case in point, uh, one of my favorite digital versions of a game that I also deeply enjoy is um, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Uh, we've played it one time, I think is all that you and I have played it, because I know most of the other people in our group didn't really like Sentinels, Sentinels that much. Yeah, we only uh, did it the one time. Right, so I never pulled it back out. Um, and, and Sentinels is a co-op superhero game. It's, a, it's not a deck-building game, because uh, your decks are built and in existence already. But it is a game that uh, you play for. Uh, you play superheroes as part of a team playing against a villain. The villain auto plays. They've got a deck that automatically plays, so nobody has to play the villain. And there's an environment deck that automatically plays when its turn comes around. And in the digital version. Uh, all that is, of course, con- done by the machine. Uh, so you can do it. You can play a solo game. That's how I tend to play it a lot. The uh, four-player solo game where I'm just playing all four characters. And but they've also got multi online multiplayer play, so you can get online and, and play with other people. Or the big thing is you can play it as a pass pass along game. And I've seen this with games in the past where. Uh, like when we went to see um, Resurrection F, uh, there were people sitting ahead of us who were passing a phone back and forth playing Ascension. Uh, and Ascension is a deck-building game of the very classic sense of a, of a deck-building game. It's a very popular deck-building game. Um, it's a lot of fun, but the game has so many expansions and so much stuff going on that you're looking at a box that if you filled it, you're talking, you know, 20, 30 pound of card easy hauling around and trying to keep track of, but they were able to just pass their phone back and forth and play the game by go did my turn. It's your turn. Just pass the phone to the next guy. So you can even, you can play games like that with just one phone or one tablet while you're doing something with a group. Like, like I said, sitting in a movie theater waiting for the movie to start or sitting in line somewhere or uh, something like that. Um, but it's nice because between that and the online play, even if you don't have anybody with you who wants to play, you can find a game. Oh, yeah. So it's not just the, the local option, the convenience of that, like you were talking about, the theater scenario of being able to just you actually do something like this without hauling the whole mother load of supplies, but also the ability to play with people. If you don't know people around you who want to do these sort of games. Exactly. Um, that's one of those things you can play. Like I've spoken about it in the past. The one I've got the most time in is star realms, which is a deck building game that you and I have played. Um, and it's, 
a deck building game where you actually fight against each other. I know I've spoken about it many times before, and I still play Star Realms every single day. Um, I'm not going as crazy as I was at one point where I would be running, you know, six to 12 games at a time. I only tend to play one game at a time, and I've been doing lots of online tournaments, so I've mainly been just playing my online tournament games, and that's it. Uh, but there, in addition to it, uh, another game that's a personal favorite of ours that has a uh, digital version that I own and is very fun is Ticket to Ride. Uh, Ticket to Ride, you have, I mean, you can play against just the computer or you can play it online or you can play it as a hot seat swap game just by passing around the thing. So, like all the others, it's a game that lets you get more playtime in, even when you're in situations where you couldn't normally play. Not now, not I don't think all of these games have an online ability. I know a lot of them do. I know Ticket to Ride does, and Sentinels does now, and the Star Realms has from the beginning, and I appreciate and I, Ascension does. Uh, I think this is something that in the long run is going to be a great thing for board gamers because sometimes the hardest thing is finding people and taking the time to set up and play the game you want to play and the ability to just fire it up on your tablet and log on and play with a bunch of random people uh, around the country or with your friends or something is going to be a big thing. And I think there's a lot more uh, games that are going to start uh, going this route and adding on to it. Now, a number of these that you've listed, I know we're going to have a bunch of links in the show notes for people so that they can gain access. I see a lot of the ones you've provided are designed for Android device users. Uh, some of them also seem to be oriented around Steam, so people with laptops and PCs that can run that sort of thing would be able to take advantage of these tools. Right, uh, and they are they tend to be available on most, I mean, Steam. Uh, some of them, are, a lot of them are available on Steam. Most of them are available on Android and iOS. There are a few that are only on iOS. Um I don't have a exact list of it, and I know we're. I've put a link. We're going to put a link to uh, a digital board game list from boardgaming.com that has a pretty good, though nowhere near complete list. And um, in addition to the uh, all these different games, a lot of games that have uh, a lot of different uh, housekeeping type stuff like running timers and tracking health and stuff. A lot of games that now have companion apps that you can get where the game doesn't, where you're not playing the game on your thing, but you can use your phone or your tablet to help you uh, make everything easier to track during your playtime. So your playtime sped up a little bit. Yeah, those I think those sort of things should be very useful. I was wondering, do you think that these sort of tools, do you think they hurt the sales of the more traditional board game items? If people could say, well, I don't, you know, I could use this and not have to carry the 30 pounds of stuff to the movie theater, but I could also just use this and never buy the 30 pounds of stuff. Well, I think that's the concern that you're going to run into. Um, 
I think with most board gamers, it's not going to like like the hardcore board gamers, like the hardcore pinball players or the really hardcore video game guys. They're going to want the actual physical version because for a lot of them, I know, and just like with me, part of it is sitting down at a table with your friends and rolling dice or moving cards or doing something. It, it, it's part of the interactivity, actually having it there as opposed to, you know, all of us sitting around a table with our tablets or passing a tablet around. It, it doesn't have the same level of uh, interaction uh, that you would have. So I think there's, I don't think it's going to hurt it uh, much uh, because I think most of the people who would have been buying these board games in the first place are going to buy the board games. And then they're going to pick up the ones they really like with on digital so they can play them when they normally wouldn't have the ability to play. But I also think at the same time, it's going to go the, it's going to flip the other way around. Some people are going to pick some of these games up, you know, get it for $3 on your phone and really like it and end up buying the actual game to play around the table with your friends and family. Yeah. I, I think your analogies to some of these other industries uh, and how they've approached when there's been digital options introduced into a traditional physical medium. I, in other, well, I'm, I'm rambling on it, but what I mean to say is, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's going to be the case. I think it can help drive sales and that alone is probably enough just because it'll get better exposure. Yeah. So I think there's I a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's like star realm star realms has, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of players, but I mean, I'm playing in tournaments. I'm playing in a tournament right now that is with people from all over the world and we'd never be able to play together ever. I mean, all I'd ever get to play with are the people I play with, you know, at home and at the game night I attend and here and there. But I mean, I'm playing in tournaments where there's literally hundreds of us in the tournament and there's, you know, three, four, five tournaments running at a time sometimes. Awesome. And one last thing I this literally just came out. Uh, I just saw this uh, earlier this week when I was writing this stuff up. There is a new app out. It's called Dized. Um, I have not tried it. I have not done anything with it other than watch their their video and read a few things talking about it. Uh, but I can see the promise in it. What it is is it's an app that you put on your phone and they will uh, eventually have more. Right now, they've only got a few. But they have a game programmed into it where you don't play it on your phone. But you tell the phone, like, oh, this is the game I'm playing. Teach me to play it. And it will and set it down. And it will walk you through playing the game. So instead of having to one of you sit down and read the rule book and learn the rule book and then teach the game to everybody, you could sit down and then with this app, if your game's in it, the the app will teach you how to play the game and walk you through a play uh, through a play. Oh wow, that's that would be really useful because I think the rules aspect is always the biggest hurdle to getting into the games at the start, or at least it is for me. Yeah, no, uh, and I it is for a lot of people, especially, I mean, some people, I, I've played with some people who have these, like, magical people who can instantly and super easily explain a game, and it just goes insane, and they're, they can, especially if you really know a game by heart, and then you get other times where nobody's played the game, and you're sitting down, and it's like, well, this is a 45-minute game, but nobody has ever played this game. 
So we're going to sit here and learn to play the game all together as one. Yes. Well, at least those magical people now have had their souls sucked into an app. Yeah. And now they will do our bidding and teach us rules. Trying to, oh, those, they were always the worst thing on the rules wasn't just the, the, the sheer overwhelming nature sometimes it feels when you're trying to go through it, but it's when you realize you've missed something and you were misplaying and you yeah. have to start fixing it as you go along. That happened to us with the, the, with the first game we did of Secret Hitler a couple months it ago. Was, yeah, it did. And only, only in a couple little spots, we were really good overall, but you know, just a couple little things slipped through. Well, it helped like, that I had most of the rules down because of, having seen it played enough. So. Yeah, you are a quasi-magical person. <laughs> Only quasi. I'm not that great. But at least you're not stored in an app, so you can be thankful for small favors. Yes, I have not yet lost my soul to an app. There is not a TonyBot 9000 out there yet. But if there was, it would. I would include a link in the show notes. Uh, of course. Because that's what <laughs> we do. Well, I think we covered our show for this evening. We have. All right. Well, we already plugged Facebook. For, for those of us who like to reach in a vo- more traditional manner, such as email, you can do so at eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. Also like to remind folks that we love ratings and reviews over at iTunes. It helps other people when doing a search in their podcast software actually find this podcast. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. In both cases, we are eclectic underscore gamers. And if you go and look on Instagram right now, there is a short little video of me starting the conversation on the uh, tabletop section. That's right. So go check that out. Check out our social media things. And in the meantime, play some pinball, play some Overwatch, and play some tabletop games.